Alrighty, in today's wake-up call, Carson Wentz has been traded to the Indianapolis Colts. Fernando Tatis Jr. signed a huge extension with the San Diego Padres. And the next great athlete has arrived, and her name is Naomi Osaka. Plus, I wrap up with a new segment, Good Cop, Bad Cop, Good Stuff in that one. Alright, let's roll the intro music. This is the wake-up call presented by Birchwood Sports Network. Here we go. Gotta wake up. The Wake Up Call, presented by Birchwood Sports Network, with your host, James Manker. Wake up, people. This is your Wake Up Call. It is Friday, February 19th, 2021. A great show today. A lot of stuff to get into. Let's start with Thursday's big news. Carson Wentz is now an Indianapolis Colt. This move was highway robbery for the Colts. But let's talk about what the Eagles got. Philly got the Colts' third-round pick this year and a conditional second-rounder for next year for the 28-year-old former second-overall pick. A conditional pick means that it's a second-rounder, but there are some conditions that if Wentz meets these goals, uh, this pick turns into a first-rounder next year for the Eagles. So if Wentz plays 75% of Colts' snaps, or he plays 70% of Colts snaps and the Colts make the playoffs, this conditional second rounder turns into a first rounder for Philly next year. So that's the return that the Eagles get for their former second overall pick. But either way, this is highway robbery for the Colts. The market was being talked about that whoever got Wentz was going to have to give at least two first round picks, and that's not at all what the Colts ended up giving up. The inevitable has become a reality. You, We all knew, despite the rumors about the Bears and any other team that was being talked about for Wentz, we all knew that at the end of the day, he was going to reunite with Frank Reich, his former offensive coordinator in Philly, and they were going to live happily ever after. This, this move, just as a football fan, I am extremely excited for what this brings. The Colts have the Colts fan base. The city of Indianapolis has just gotten screwed the past couple of years after Andrew Luck decided to retire. Uh, I'm not trying to turn that guy into a villain. Obviously, he's a great guy, but just you know, they got screwed out of their franchise. Their once in a generation quarterback, their former first overall pick. Uh, obviously, Peyton went off to Denver uh, to win a Super Bowl. He didn't finish out his career in Indianapolis. Uh, so the past decade or so has been pretty brutal on Colts fans. They had a really good season this year behind a pretty old Phillip Rivers. Obviously, he was in his last season. Obviously, since then, he's retired. And I think no matter what, adding Carson Wentz to this already stacked team is a great move. You're talking about a great backfield duo with Jonathan Taylor and Naeem Hines. You're talking about a great defense that dominated the league this year. And again, they, they did it all behind Phillip Rivers. So I think no matter what, Carson Wentz is an improvement upon that. Uh, the thing about being back with Frank Reich is that that was his offensive coordinator in 2017. That was the last time they were together. That year that Wentz was on his way to an MVP, on his way to a great postseason run. Obviously, that was stopped in its tracks by an ACL injury against the Rams. That was a season that the Eagles went on to have a, you know, for a number one seed to have a, you know, it's tough for a number one seed to have a Cinderella run, but when Nick Foles is your quarterback, uh, it was a little bit of a Cinderella run. And they uh, they they mowed through the NFC and they met Brady in the Super Bowl. Once had a, uh, sorry, Foles had a great performance and the Eagles won that year. 
And that was the last time that we saw Frank Reich and Carson Wentz together. And now we see him back together in Indianapolis. If Wentz can be 2017 MVP, and he didn't win the MVP that year, Brady did, but he was on his way to the MVP. If he can be 2017 MVP Wentz under Reich, the Colts have an AFC championship floor. That is their floor. This team will be a perennial top four team in the National Football League. And not just top four in preseason rankings. They they will almost certainly be in the AFC Championship every year, if if not advancing to the Super Bowl and winning a couple ranks. There will in the next few years, I predict that we will see at least three Wentz, Mahomes, Colts, Chiefs matchup in the AFC Championship if Carson Wentz can return to that MVP form like he was last time he played for Frank Reich. Am I saying that I fully believe that he will? No. Am I saying that he's an improvement over Phillip Rivers? Yes. This team's going to be in the playoffs this year. There's no way around that. Wentz is going to play better than he did for the last few years in Philly because he's got Frank Reich. This guy is a system quarterback when he's in the right system, and the right system is the system that almost got him an MVP being the Frank Reich system. He was on his way to an MVP. He was on his way to a great postseason run, and that was all because he was playing for an offensive genius like Frank Reich. And Frank Reich has done a great job the past couple of years with quarterbacks like Jacoby Brissett and Phillip Rivers. But now he has an opportunity to get his MVP back, get his guy back to MVP form. I have no doubt saying that if Carson Wentz can play at that 2017 MVP form. The Colts will be in the AFC Championship for most of the next six or seven years. Obviously, Wentz is 28. I'm not saying he's old, but he's been through an ACL tear. He's had one great season. But when you put him back with the guy who was an instrumental role in that great season, I don't have a doubt in my mind that he is going to improve over the last couple years in Philly. This was a great move for the Colts. They didn't give up a lot. Even if that conditional pick turns into a first-rounder, you'd still rather have a postseason run and a great season from your quarterback, your guy under center, than that first-round pick. And if you think about it, you're trading a deep postseason run, possibly a run to the Super Bowl. Again, if he's to that MVP form, you're trading all that for your first-round guy. So... It's a deal I would make. It's obviously a deal they made. Uh, I consider this a deal, you know, everyone's talking about who won the trade, yada, yada, yada. I don't think you can make an argument that the Eagles won this trade in any sense. They didn't get what what was rumored that they were going to get for him. If Wentz plays to these conditions, obviously, if he plays 75% of the Colts' snaps or he plays 70% of snaps and the Colts make the playoffs, it turns into a first-round pick. But at the end of the day, it's not two first-rounders like we've been hearing for the past couple weeks. It's just it's nowhere near that, and they didn't even get any players in return. So I hope that that third-round pick that you get this year and second or first-rounder next year was worth this. Uh, and you know well when you're watching these guys that you know almost let you do, obviously you got the ring with Foles but it was that was supposed to be Wentz and Reich and Peterson and if you're watching these two guys who are in your city and you're a Philly fan you're watching them play uh and coach in Indianapolis now I I'd be I'd be really upset this uh 
It's got, you know, I, it, Wentz has not been at that, in that form, that MVP form for the last couple of years, but if he returns to that form and it's with a guy who used to be on the Philly staff and could have been the rightful heir to the Philly head coaching job at some point, I would be upset as an Eagles fan. I'll tell you what I'm not upset about. I'm glad Ryan Pace didn't make a move. Report came out today that my Bears, uh, our GM Ryan Pace, did not make a move at all. They were not even ta- not even in talks with the Eagles about Wentz. So reported throughout the week that the Bears were in advanced talks. They were ahead of the Colts in the Wentz sweepstakes. That was not true at all. Adam Shefty Chef Schefter reported that the Bears were not even in communications with the Colt or sorry with the Eagles for Carson Wentz. So I hate Ryan Pace. He's the worst, but token of my appreciation to that guy for uh, for not even inquiring about Carson Wentz. So he can he can stick around another day. Colts won this trade and watch out for them for the next five years. Listen, the wake up call is back. This is our third episode back. Uh, we're changing some stuff around, changing up the style of the show. But one thing that hasn't changed is our number one sponsor, our favorite sponsor, our only sponsor, and the greatest sponsor in the world, Mark Cortezi State Farm. Mark Cortezi State Farm is the official insurance sponsor of the Wake Up Call. For more information, call 217-787-1727 or visit growwithmark.com. Again, that's Mark Cortezi State Farm is the official insurance sponsor of the Wake Up Call. Okay, Fernando Tatis Jr. continues a hot start to his 2021 and his meteoric rise to the top of baseball. First, he was named the cover athlete for MLB The Show 21, and now he has inked a 14-year, $340 million extension with the San Diego Padres, the third richest deal in MLB history behind Mike Trout and Mookie Betts. The 22-year-old shortstop is now a Padre for life. This deal is up in 2035 when Tatis will be 36 years old. The same year, the infamous Bobby Bonilla Mets buyout deal ends. This is an awesome deal for both sides. This is an awesome deal for baseball. But the baseball fan in me has to be Debbie Downer for a second. I would be doing myself and you guys injustice if I didn't. So I got to be a little negative for a second about this. And then we'll get to the fun parts about it. This is probably going to be one of these last deals that we've seen the past few years, you know, decade or longer, upwards of $300 million. This is probably going to be the last one of those. Going forward, we're probably going to see the Trevor Bauer type deal. You know, the three-year, $100 million, uh, first couple years are in the 40 range. Uh, teams are able to get out from under it if they need to. It's a win-win for both sides. Uh, you know, the whole thing with the Bauer deal is that he's getting – 40-something million this year, 40-something million next year, and then 17 the year after that with opt-outs after every year. Say he's got an arm injury and the Dodgers want to opt-out, they can do that and they uh, get off scot-free. Or if Bauer has an even better year in L.A. one of these two years than he did in Cincinnati and says, hey, I want to get another one of these deals, I want to get even more money, he can do that. It's a win-win for both sides. That deal is the new way of signing in baseball. It's going to be, you know, it's the future, but the future's already here. Uh, and, unfortunately, you know, Twitter blew up with this 14-year, $340 million extension, as they should. This is exciting. He's one of the most electric players in baseball, Slam Diego. There's a culture out there. This team is on the rise. Everything about this deal is fantastic, and it's a good thing for baseball to see that he's going to be there for a long time. They're committed to him. He's committed to them. It's a win, 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 win all the way around. Baseball, San Diego, Fernando Tatis, yada, yada, yada. You can go on and on. 
But the thing here is that the future is the Trevor Bauer type deal. And because of where labor negotiations and all that are at right now, and the, you know, we're probably going to have a strike next year uh, with the C with uh, the CBA up. Um, it's going to get ugly. We're probably, you know, we're probably going to get next season started in June. I'm getting a little off topic here from the whole Fernando Tati from the whole deal. Uh, but just cherish this while you can. Cherish the excitement of a 14-year, $340 million extension. Uh, and if this is one, if it really is, and my prediction comes true, that this is one of the last times one of these deals will get signed, uh, just be happy that this is the guy that's signing it. Uh, so that's that's enough negativity. Let's get to the positive here. Fourth in NL MVP voting last year. This dude's 22. He's already a stud. He's already one of the top players in baseball. Obviously, he's got the cover of MLB The Show 21, not to say that uh, that really means much anymore. They gave it to Javi last year. Javi's electric. Uh, so I, I guess getting the MLB The Show 21, or getting the MLB The Show cover, uh, not just 21, but getting the cover itself uh, means more about how electric you are. Because you, you can't deny the energy that Javi brings, the electricity he plays the game with. You can't deny any of that, but it's more about how electric you are than what you're putting on the stat sheet. I'm not saying Tatis can fill up the stat sheet, but at the same time, Javi really can't. He's just electric. He can tag well, and he's got some power. But Tatis combines that electricity with his stats. He plays the game. He plays hard. He plays with a lot of energy. He's fun to watch. And at the same time, he backs it up. He hits bombs. He makes exciting plays in the field. He's, he has one of the best gloves we've seen in a long time. He can do it on both sides of the field. There's not much more to say. Everything about this is fun. He's fun. He's the new face of baseball. Bat flips, youth, just all around fun. And he's going to be, like I said earlier, the culture that he's in, what what the Padres are building out there, what Jace Tingler has, everything that they added this offseason, arguably the best pitching staff in baseball they were unanimously they unanimously had the best pitching staff in baseball up until Bauer signed with the Dodgers. Either way, those teams are one two. My dad and I have been talking a lot uh, since last season when you know in July when the season got started and the Padres had a hot start to the season about how you never really cared about the Padres before, especially not in my lifetime. Tony Gwynn retired before I was born, obviously before I could. Uh, remember anything, even if he retired after I was born, I still wouldn't remember much of his career. Uh, I never saw too much of Trevor Hoffman. Uh, I've only seen his highlights on YouTube as I have Tony Gwynn, but I've never got to see true stars play in San Diego. And then a couple years ago, Manny Machado goes and signs out there and you're like, oh, well, he just went out there because they had, you know, they gave him the most money. And then they have one of the best farm systems in baseball and they're bringing up all these pitchers and then this guy named Fernando Tatis Jr. comes out of nowhere, and then Eric Hosmer signs there, or Hosmer was before Machado. That's besides the point. You've never cared about San Diego before, that being the Padres. Chargers were good there for a while, but you've never cared about the Padres before, and now they're doing a lot out there that makes you care about them. They're one of the top teams in baseball. I've been saying since they bolstered the rotation by adding Snell and Darvish that Whoever comes out of the NL West, and that could be whoever wins the division, if they play in the NLDS, whoever comes out of that series, if they play in the NLCS, whoever comes out of that series, 
Whoever goes farther in the playoffs between the Dodgers and the Padres, one of those teams is going to win the World Series this year. Period. I that's not even that's not even a hot take. That's not even me going out on a limb and just saying some BS for fun. That's just the way it's going to be. These are the two top teams in baseball. And I don't know I don't know if there's what competition there is out there to stop them. Whatever playoff series they play against each other, because it will be down to those two, whether it's in the division series or the championship series, whichever series it is between them, that will be the World Series. And whoever wins that, it's just a formality going forward about whichever AL opponent they'll face. A little off topic from Tatis a little bit, but it's just to the point of how great this deal is for baseball. Like I was saying earlier, it's one of the last ones we're going to see of this big value for a long time. Uh, he's going to sustain the success. He's not going anywhere. This isn't a you know this isn't a flash in the pan. This guy, this guy's a monster. Uh, he's he he could end up having a career like Ken Griffey Jr., where his dad was a major leaguer and every, you know everyone knew who his dad was when he was a major leaguer. Uh, but at the same time, he could end up being way better than his dad. This guy could be a future Hall of Famer, and we don't even know it yet. Uh, I've rambled a lot during this segment, but I hope you've gotten the point here. This is a awesome deal. New face of baseball, bat flips, youth, just all around fun. Slam Diego. Everything about this is fun. Baseball fans get excited. Uh, sports fans get excited. This, this guy is going to pave the way for baseball getting back into that conversation, the most popular sports. It's been down for the past couple years. Obviously they had juice the balls, yada, yada, yada. Uh, but this guy, this guy's going to bring baseball back into the mainstream. I'm super excited for what he does the rest of his career. Like I said, I've rambled a lot during the segment, but I hope you've gotten the point. A great deal for Tatis and the Padres. 14 years, $340 million. Slam Diego opened their checkbooks, and now the new face of baseball, Fernando Tatis Jr., is a Padre for life. I'll admit it. I don't drift away from baseball, football, and even sometimes basketball and a little golf from time to time on the podcast, but when the next great athlete comes along and you can tell as their career is just getting started, they will go down as one of the GOATs, it becomes necessary to talk about it, which is why, and I can say this with full confidence, that this is the first time I've talked about tennis on this show. Today, I want to talk about Naomi Osaka, the next great athlete. She's 23 years old from Japan. She's already got three major wins, two U.S. Opens and one Australian Open, and going for her second Aussie Open title this weekend. She's the current number three in the world rankings. She beat Serena for the second time in a major on Wednesday and is now going for her fourth major. She beat Serena in the infamous 2018 U.S. Open final where Serena got screwed by some asshole line judge. Uh, Serena is Naomi's idol. Naomi has now beat her twice, and it's time for everyone to know Naomi Osaka's name. It is very rare when a when an athlete is in, when an athlete get your grammar right, man. Or when an athlete is in the beginning of their career, that you can tell right away that they're going to be one of the greatest. I'm too young to remember the hype about LeBron in high school, but when you see the chosen one on the Sports Illustrated cover, and he's 17, and he's going to high school in Akron, Ohio. I'm sure the people who were around then could tell that that kid was going to be something special. Maybe they didn't know that he was going to be 1-2 with LeBron in history, and he was going to challenge him for the GOAT status. But at the end of the day, you knew he was going to go down to something special, and that's what Naomi Osaka is doing right now. 
a lot of this story is Serena Williams. This could be this could be the end of her career. She walked off the court crying the other night. Uh, so before I talk more about Naomi, I just want to say Serena, twenty three major titles. There's not there's not much to, there's not much to say that hasn't already been said. She is the greatest tennis player of all time. She's not the greatest. She's not just the greatest female tennis player of all time. She is the greatest tennis player of all time, without a doubt. And I've been lucky enough to see the middle to the end of her career in my lifetime. She's the goat. She's the greatest. Unfortunately, we're never going to have her in the same conversation as other athletes for two reasons. One, she plays in a you know she plays in a sport all by herself. She doesn't have any teammates. It's not she's not playing in a team sport. And two, she's a woman. Unfortunately, that is a factor in why she's never going to be brought up in mainstream goat conversations. Those two things combined means that she will be left on you know the good shelf, the goat shelf, including LeBron, Jordan, Brady, Gretzky, Ruth, Ali, others, will not include Serena. And I hope we get to a point where that isn't the case. Uh, hopefully by the time Naomi is officially in that conversation. Uh, but for my for my money, Serena is the greatest tennis player of all time, without a doubt. And if that was the way that her career came to an end, that's very uh, unfortunate. But it is a rightful passing of the torch to Naomi Osaka. So a great, uh, great career for Serena Williams. The segment is about... Naomi Osaka, and like I was saying a second ago, hopefully the conversation around a woman being the greatest of all time is changed by the time we're talking about Naomi in that conversation. And I don't mean to say that we're all, you know, everyone's a sexist, and that we're not, we you know, that's that these are the reasons that Serena is not being talked about. But at the same time, it is this underlying factor, and you you can't. You, you can't prove you can't say otherwise uh, so hopefully by the time we're talking about Naomi Osaka and the goat conversation we've all come around to the fact that women can also be considered great athletes um, Serena's got 23 majors Naomi's already at three she's playing at a dominant level I don't know the exact uh, the exact stat I apologize but I I saw it the other night. I think in in major tournaments she's now 11 and 0 after the quarterfinal round. You can fact check me on that, but I think that's what the stat is. I don't know for sure. But she's only been in 6 or 7 total and now she's, you know, she can she can have early exits. She can be off her game sometimes. But when she's locked in, she's locked in. And there's nobody getting in her way, not even the greatest of all time, her idol, Serena Williams. So she's only 23. She's only competed in five, six-some-odd six uh, major, major tournaments. But the GOAT talk is already warranted. You can already talk about Naomi Osaka in that same conversation with Serena Williams and Steffi Graf and Billie Jean King. You can already talk about... That, that can already be the Mount Rushmore of women's tennis. And Naomi's 23. There's a chance that we're watching her right now and 
15 years down the road, or it'll be 60, you know, Serena's 39. So when Naomi's 39, 16 years down the road, and we're all talking about the great career that Naomi Osaka has had, she could have 30 major titles. And we could, and she could be in a league of her own, and Serena could be the one that isn't, you know, Serena could be in second place just looking up at Naomi Osaka. Um, that's something I hope for. You know, you, you always hope that the athletes that you, you know, are either grow up watching or are able to see in your uh, in your adult life are just, you're, you hope to see greatness. Uh, and I hope that's what we're watching right now. And it'd be really cool to remember the entirety of her career if by the end of it we are unanimously talking about her as the greatest of all time. Serena's the Gretzky of, ten of, of tennis. Uh, unfortunately, I have to say women's tennis because not everybody agrees that she's the goddamn greatest of all time for tennis, period. So I got to say that Serena's the Gretzky of women's tennis. Everybody can agree on that. And Osaka could reach that level in the future. It's not a matter, in my mind, it's not a matter of if it's a matter of when. It's a matter of when she gets number 23. It's a matter of if she's on that pace way sooner than Serena ever was. Uh, it's so awesome to watch her play. She's a dominant force on the court. Obviously, she beat Serena. Like I said, when she gets locked in and she's ready to go, there is no one, and I mean no one, standing in her way. Naomi Osaka is here and she is here to stay and on Sunday she will go for her fourth major and attempt to cement her legacy at just 23 years old. Alrighty, like I said earlier, the wake-up call is back. This is our third episode back. We're changing some stuff up a little bit, changing up the style of the show a little bit, introducing some new segments. But one thing that is staying the same is our number one sponsor, our favorite sponsor, our only sponsor, and the greatest sponsor in the world, Mark Cortez State Farm. Mark Cortez State Farm is the official insurance sponsor of the wake-up call. For more information, call 217-787-1727 or visit growwithmark.com. Again, Mark Cortez State Farm is the official insurance sponsor of the wake-up call. And we love Mark. We love his State Farm agency. We love everything he does for us. So thank you, man. You're the greatest. We love you. Introducing a new segment here. It's called Good Cop, Bad Cop. Here's how it works. Good Cop is something that I like in sports. Bad Cop is something that I don't. I think this segment has a lot of potential. It's going to be something I try to do every episode. If not that, I'll try to do it every other episode. Again, like I said, I think it's got a lot of potential. So here we go. Let's get into it. The first edition of Good Cop, Bad Cop. Today's Good Cop is NBA Commissioner Adam Silver. The NBA officially announced their plans for the 2021 All-Star Game. The All-Star Game was a dud idea for this year, but they ended up getting it figured out. It was pretty much universally hated at first by the players and just and the fans alike. It was it was universally hated, but the NBA ended up figuring it out. The NBA All-Star Game is the best All-Star Game in sports after last year with the whole fourth quarter point 24 point system. Uh, that being that to win the game, you have to score 24 more points than the leading team had at the end of the third quarter. So say the Western Conference was leading 100 to 92 at the end of the third quarter. The to win the game, uh, the winner would be the first team that gets to 124 points. Of course, the 24 point system being in honor of the late great Kobe Bryant. Rest in peace to Kobe. It's a great system to honor him, and that system is back. 
they instituted it last year, and at first it seemed dumb until we saw it in action. It led to great action down the stretch in last year's game, and they decided to stick with it. It's a great system, and it will highly up the entertainment value. Silver said that this is a made-for-TV event. Uh, he said that every year they likely get a uh, hundred, well, not likely, they do. Every year they get between 100 and 130 million viewers around the world. The NBA is a global sport. It's a, you know, it's got a global fan base. And he said they're, they're planning on having that many fans tune into the game this year, if not more. They saw a 10% rise in viewership for last year's game uh, as to the previous game in 2019. So now they're hoping to see even more of an increase for this year's game. And it's especially a made-for-TV event with no crowd. The only uh, fans in the stadium will be HB, HBCU students, and there will be a 1,000 of them in attendance. But this is more of a made-for-TV event than it ever has been. This game also benefits HBCU. Silver was talking about that money that they make off of the game, some of it will be donated to benefiting historically black colleges and universities. Uh, it's a great setup for the league. It's a you know it's it, they're just making sure that they can give back as much as possible, being involved. Obviously, we've tried to see a lot of uh, player involvement in social justice and change in uh, how we operate as a country. And the NBA is doing the best they can in that department. So I don't exactly know where the money's going to come from to benefit uh, HBCUs. I don't know if it's coming from sponsorship money or what. But at the end of the day, Silver said there will be money donated to benefit historically black colleges and universities. So this was a dud idea, flipped on its ass, and they made something great. So that'll be sometime in March. I think it's March 7th. You can... Uh, fact check me on that. I don't know the exact date, but I think it's March 7th, and that'll be down in Atlanta, uh, the home of the Hawks. So it's a great, you know, it, it was a terrible idea, but they flipped it on its ass, and they turned it into something great. So big ups to Adam Silver. Today's bad cop also has to do with the NBA, also has to do with the All-Star game, but it's something a little different. It's All-Star voting. So the system for voting for starters, that, those were the only ones announced Thursday night. They'll announce the bench uh, players next week, but the starters were announced Thursday night. Uh, so the system for voting for starters goes fans get 50% of the vote, media and coaches each get 25% to make up the remaining 50% of the vote. So nine starters are good. Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Joel Embiid, and Bradley Beal make up the East starting lineup. LeBron James, Steph Curry, Kawhi Leonard, and Nikola Jokic, the Joker, make up the West starting lineup. Those nine are all good, signed, sealed, delivered. Nobody's got any problem with any of those guys being on the starting lineup. And if you do, you're an idiot. Anyway, it's number 10, the number five in the West. It's Luka Doncic. You got the nod over Damian Lillard. Lillard is having a way better season than Doncic is. Uh, but here, here's, here's the mistake in all this. Damian Lillard won the media voting and the coach voting. But Luka won the fan vote. And because of how much the fan vote is worth, Luka is a starter and Damian Lillard is not. Lillard will be an all-star, but not a starter. And that is where the system is problematic and you can expect changes in the future so that this BS won't happen again and nobody gets cucked like Lillard did. Uh, he got completely screwed over. He's having a great season, one of the greatest of his career, and he completely deserved the starter nod. But unfortunately, due to this terrible, terrible voting system, uh, that's not what ended up happening. So 
Good cop for today, Adam Silver and the NBA for turning this the terrible All-Star game into, idea into a great plan. And the bad cop is the All-Star voting that screwed Damian Lillard out of a starting spot in the West lineup in favor of Luka Doncic. That's all I got for you today. Stay safe. Wear your mask. This COVID shit is still going on. Let's do our best. Let's let's do everything we can to get back to normal as soon as possible. Do your part. NFL season's over. I guess watch some college basketball this weekend, some NBA. Uh, just watch, you know, oh, watch Naomi Osaka. Watch the Australian Open. It'll be on at, I think, I don't know, 2 a.m., something. It'll be on pretty early in the morning, but tune in. Watch it. Watch her win her fourth major. Guys, have a great Friday. Have a great weekend. We'll see you on Monday. This has been the Wake Up Call presented by Birchwood Sports Network. I'm James Maker. Have a great Friday, y'all. See ya. Gotta wait.